0: Welcome to To Every Generation the Broadcast Ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields located in Jamesburg, New Jersey where we teach through the entire Bible verse by verse and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: Tonight we're going to be in Malachi Chapter 4, and we'll see if the Lord wants us to finish the six verses tonight that are remaining in Malachi 4. Title of tonight's message is, The Day is Coming. What I'd like you to do with me before we actually get into verse 1 of 4 is go back To verse 14 of chapter 3. It's been a little more than a month since we've been in Malachi, so I just want to pick up on verse 14. That leads us into uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 14, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners, before the Lord of Hosts. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Just like today, you have groups of people. You have those people that think the glass is half full and others think it's half empty. You have those people that are better through adversity and those people who are bitter through adversity. That, I think, has been the case since the human race began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. I think it's just part of our human nature, our sin nature. Verses 14 and 15, you have these people that are criticizing... Basically, God, they're directing it at God. So it's really useless to follow you, Lord, because look at how these wicked people, these sinful people, prosper. And we try to do the right thing, and we're always coming up short. Verse 16 says, And those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. May that be you and I. May that be the prayer of every person in here that everyone in this building tonight falls into verse 16 category. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. We know the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord but notice what also happens to those who fear the Lord, who have a healthy reverence and respect for Him. The Lord listens and hears us, and hears them, and hears you. So a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name. Since it is the greatest name ever, ever, Jesus, the greatest name ever. There'll never be another name better than Jesus. It's the name we should always be meditating on. It should be in the front of our brain, the middle of our brain, the back of our brain. It should be on our eyelids. The name of Jesus. The precious, precious name of Jesus Christ. Verse 17 continues that great thought in 16. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Just think of that. You're his jewel. You're his precious jewel. How precious? more precious than anything in the universe. How can I say that? Because Jesus Christ died for you. If you were the only person ever to live, he would have died for you. We're all collectively individual eyes. He died for each one of you. Verse 18, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. I want to just as we before we go into four, ask you to do a spiritual attitude check tonight. Do a spiritual attitude check. Are you content where you are in the Lord? Hopefully your answer is, no way, I got such a long way to go. I need him more and more every day of my life, every breath I take, every step I take. I need him more and more and more. So I want you to ask yourself, do I need a spiritual attitude check? Are you too content where you are? in your walk with the Lord. Now, as we go into chapter 4, again, the title of tonight is, The Day is Coming. The Day is Coming. What day? That's important that we understand what that day is. So I'm going to read a verse, and we're going to go back and chew it up a little bit and swallow it and hold it onto it, that it becomes part of who we are that we can meditate on these words. Verse 1 of chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. In that verse 1 the day is coming. It's near everybody this day. I believe this day is very near. Isaiah 17:1 The destruction of Damascus where it will be a ruinous heap could happen tomorrow. Might have been already happened. It might already happen. I didn't see the news. Major major prophecy as Aleppo has fallen in Syria and now they're moving towards Damascus is the next one. The carnage, the genocide that's going on over there in Syria in the Middle East is catastrophic. Catastrophic. Thousands of people are being killed. Twenty women committed suicide so they wouldn't get raped by these soldiers because they saw their friends being raped and then killed. Terrible what's going on. Terrible, the drug epidemic in our nation and throughout the world. Terrible. Taking young lives every day. Horrendous. The pornography industry, billions and billions of dollars they're making on ripping off young men and women's lives and other men and women getting in bondage to this lifestyle. Ezekiel 38, Russia invading Israel. They're right on the border. They're like 10 miles from the border, six miles from the border. They're lining up. Understand that Isaiah 17.1 will happen before Ezekiel 38. Keep your eyes on the Middle East. It's God's time clock. The Bible says that mighty men will cry on this day. That the inhabitants of the land will tremble. It's a terrible day and it's not a 24-hour day. It's a period of time. It's a seven-year period of time. We know it is a tribulation. It's a day of judgment, God's judgment, and the destruction of ungodly people this day. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 to 10, it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance for those who do not know God. In the ancient Greek... It's not a vindictiveness, but an unwavering justice fully administered. We look in that verse 1, it talks about burning like an oven. Remember the men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three guys during the uh, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down. And there was a fourth man in that fire, none other other than Jesus. That oven did not burn those guys. But it burned the king's soldiers who were trying to usher them into the fire. It was so hot, it burned the soldiers. But the fire did not destroy those followers of God but yet there was a burning like an oven. Weren't affected. They were with Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, the burning comes. All the proud is the next few words in verse 1. All the proud. Remember what the sin of Satan was. Pride, the five I wills. He wanted to be like God. Psalm 10 verse 4 states, in his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. Pride, something that God hates. The next word in that verse we're going to look at in verse 1 of 4 is wickedly. We know the verse in the scripture the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You and I can't know it. How dark and deep the wickedness of each individual's heart is. It takes a savior, it takes Jesus Christ to change your heart to make it like his. In verse 1, the wicked will be stubble. Stubble is useless. Stubble is what is left after crops are harvested. It's the short, short stalks that are left. There's really no value in it unless there's some grain left in it. And if they collect those that stubble and they put it in a feeding trough for an animal they'll go down and try to get any grain that's left in there. But it's useless. The main piece, the main meat has already been taken by the harvesters. The next verse, or the next part of verse 1, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them never, neither root nor a branch. Talk about being useless. Think of the accomplishments of men and women throughout history, but yet they died without Christ. And today, as we sit here on the earth, they're in hell, suffering eternal punishment. And what does their accomplishments on this earth mean if they died without Jesus Christ? Mark 8.36 says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The answer is nothing. Nothing. It's temporary puff. It's just, it's nothing. Nothing. There is a poem I wanna read to you. You've heard part of it before. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life twill soon pass and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave, only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life t'will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, twill soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, twill soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done, and when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say Twas worth it all. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life t'will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I remember just hearing that last verse. I never knew there was a whole poem with it. What a fantastic words that this man, C.T. Studd, put together. That guy was a stud that came up with that poem. That was a heck of a poem that he came up with. Inspired, I'm sure, by God's Holy Spirit. And I was reading and I am thinking the repetition, how often we hear it over and over and over and over again. But how much of creatures or habit are we that we've become what we've heard over and over and over again? And if you're not a student of the scriptures, you need to be. Because you need to have your brain washed every single day by God's holy word, the water of his word. We cannot survive without Jesus Christ 24-7, 365, And his word cleansing us from the inside out. There's no chance. We need that. We have to understand that. He is everything. Everything we need, he is. We can never get enough of him. Ever. Ever. Never. In verse 1 it says, The Lord of hosts. It's mentioned about 260 times. In the Old Testament, that phrase, the Lord of hosts. The word Lord, capitalized, refers to Yahweh, the self existent one, the redemptive God. That word host is from the Hebrew word meaning armies, the angelic warriors, the armies of God, the host of heaven, the angelic warriors. Powerful. Powerful. No one, nothing, can defeat them. They're on our side. They're on our side. The God of the armies of heaven. There's no political correctness in that statement. The God of the armies of heaven. Finally, the end of verse 1 says, that will leave them neither root nor branch. The root is a life source to anything that's alive, the root. You destroy the root, you destroy that bush, that tree, that plant, whatever it is. If the person does not have Jesus, as His root system, nourishing Him, strengthening Him, they're like dead people walking. They need that spiritual root system. Jesus is the only life source. Verse 2 of Malachi 4. But to you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings, And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. We see the beginning of that, but to you who fear my name. And we saw that in chapter 3, the part that we started tonight. Again, fearing the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's a sense of reverence and awe and respect for who God is. Remember, his name is above all names. And we know that at the name of Jesus, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, but we get to do it while we're on the earth and throughout eternity. What a privilege we have in Jesus. Notice the next line, the son of righteousness, and notice it's S-U-N. We could easily substitute S-O-N, but notice here it's S-U-N. We only see this verse here in Malachi where this term S-U-N, son of righteousness, is used. Could also be looked at as the son, S-O-N, of vindication. It refers to the day of the Lord when He vindicates His people and He judges sin. That word vindication, let's take a look at it. What does it mean? It means to justify, to prove right. And by the cross of Jesus, He justifies you and me just as if we've never sinned. Think about that. We're all sinners in here, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross through his precious blood shed for each one of us individually, it's just as if we've never sinned in the eyes of God the Father. That's insane. Think about that. God looks at you, covered by the blood of Jesus, as if you've never sinned. We have a right standing because our sins have been erased through Jesus' death and the shedding of his blood. He alone is the Lord of righteousness. We're not righteous. In him we're righteous. He gives us that robe of righteousness. Continuing in verse 2, with healing in his wing. The Jewish people have a prayer shawl that's called a talit or a talus. The corners of that talus are also known as wings. Remember um, women, I'm sorry, the woman in Luke 8 that had the issue with bleeding in the New Testament. She was trying to touch the hem of his garment. She was trying to touch the corner. She was trying to touch the wing. Remember when King Uzziah died and I... Isaiah said he saw the Lord sitting on the throne and the hem of his garment filled the temple. A good way to think of the wings is think of a corner of a napkin. And you take the corner and you dip it in a glass of water and how the napkin absorbs the water. Well, when we ask Jesus Christ to forgive us, He touches us. He absorbs our sins. He gives us in return His Holy Spirit. He becomes living water inside of us. We absorb His life. There's a supernatural thing taking place where God Himself is indwelling each of us that have accepted Him. And we have His life inside of us. Because of his redemptive work. Now, here at this church, we use the New King James Version of the Bible. It's very important sometimes to understand the type of Bible you look at. If you have an NIV, you have to understand it's not close to the original language. And here's a great example with this particular verse. It says in the NIV, first of all, a couple things. There's a, Instead of S-U-N like you have in verse 2, capitalized, the sun is capitalized. In the NIV, it's lowercase. When you read in this one, the Son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. In the NIV, it says that his is changed to its wings instead of his wings. That's huge. Because we're referring to Jesus Christ, and he's not in it. And then we also see that wings are changed to rays. So here's how it would read in the NIV. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Big difference from the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. So I think it's important to understand why the pastors here use the New King James Version. It's more like the language we speak to each other and it's closer to the original. And a lot of times we know Pastor Joe with the Hebrew and the Greek, he really breaks it down tremendously. But there's a reason for that. Okay? Uh, This verse I just read, grow fat like stall-fed calves. Now, remember... You who fear his name, you're being referred to here growing fat like stall-fed calves. So let's take a look at that and see how that is applicable to you and I. In a stall, calves are confined. They don't have much freedom to move around. It's very much like you and me in sin. There's no freedom. We're confined. But through Jesus Christ, we're set free. And like a calf, given the freedom to go pasture and run around and just eat anything that he sees in that nice, healthy pasture, we are free to grow strong by feeding off of Jesus Christ. He is our pasture. He's our nourishment. We're free in Him. If we go down and continue this thought, it says, You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, the trample the wicked. Understand, this is talking about the Lord's victory. And when you and I are following Jesus Christ and we're plugged into him it's our victory too we take part in the Lord's victory instead of being under sin and under bondage we trample over sin and the influence of the wicked one time sin was holding us down one time sin was trampling on us now through the victory won at the cross by Jesus Christ and you being filled with His Holy Spirit and you having Him as your Lord and Master, you now trample over sin. You're not influenced by the wicked and, and their lifestyle and their ways. We're free in Jesus. In that verse 4, under the soles of your feet, Think about it, how your soles are your feet. You're stepping on things. You're walking around. You're walking on dirt. You're walking on bacteria and virus. You're just stepping over things. It's on the bottom of your feet. It's under your soles. You're on top of sin because of the victory that Jesus has given you through his son. Sin is no longer on top of you anymore. Sin has been defeated. The enemy has been defeated through Jesus Christ. The yearn to cern does not burn anymore. The yearn to, s- to burn. No, let me do it again. The year- yearn to sin does not burn anymore. That burning desire that you ran to your sin nature because of the burningness in, in your heart to do those things because it was pleasurable for a season. It's not there anymore. Jesus is the firefighter. He put out that burning through what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. Also, the feet that are on top now are stepping on everything. Those are your feet and my feet that bring good news now. We don't flee from God's word anymore. We don't flee from getting involved with the people of God. We run to it because we know that's our life source. The fellowship, God says, with one another. The reading of his word. The breaking of bread. That's how the church grew. And it hasn't changed today. Let's go down to verse 5. No, let's stay in verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Remember the law of Moses. Mount Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. Remember what took place On Mount Sinai with Moses. He was given the Ten Commandments. And God spoke these words in Exodus 20. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant nor his female servant nor his ox nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. God's 600 laws, over 600 laws were condensed in Exodus 20 to the Ten Commandments. If you've broken one of those laws that I read, you were destined to an eternal punishment in hell, and then you would have been eventually thrown into the lake of fire. But there is great news. Most of you know the great news. That Jesus Christ, through his grace and mercy, by sending his son to die on the cross, erases, throws your sins as far as the east is from the west if you accept him as your Lord and Savior and live for him. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus died for your sin. He rose from the dead. He's coming and back one day or we're going to go meet him one day, whatever comes first. So the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments. Remember, after we finish chapter 4 here in Malachi, there's 400 years of silence where God doesn't speak to his people for 400, words, uh, 400 years. You and I, have God's word hopefully hidden in our heart. If they took away all the Bibles in the whole world, the only way they can take away your heart is to kill you. And then you're in the presence of the word of God, Jesus Christ. But if you hide his word in your heart and meditate on it, God will always be speaking to you and telling you something. His word never is void. He will always be communicating To an open heart. May we always have those open hearts. Israel in that verse 4, the word Israel means God prevails, means governed by God. Wherever you're governed by God, God prevails. With the statutes and judgments. Statute is a task given by God. Judgment is a sentence or a decision based on what God has said. In John 1.17, it says, the law came through Moses. And we see the law in Exodus 20. But the great, great news is that grace and truth come from, through Jesus Christ. We're not in the old law. We're not in the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. The grace and mercy that Jesus Christ won for us at the cross. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Elijah means my God is Jehovah. Can each of us say without hesitation my God is Jehovah. Can all of us without hesitation say with your lips that Jesus is my Lord. Does each of us know within our heart And believe it, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now saying, Dad, is it time to roll yet? I want to go down there with my people. Do you understand that you've been given a guarantee of God's Holy Spirit inside of you? before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Before the day of the Lord. The day is coming. Now, most of you know that John the Baptist was asked, are you the Christ? And he said, no. He said, are you Elijah the prophet? He goes, no. But what John the Baptist was, was he was a type of Elijah because he ushered in Jesus Christ. We remember at the sea or the Jordan River, John was baptizing people from all around. And then Jesus came onto the scene to begin his earthly ministry. But before he began his earthly ministry, he had to fulfill and get baptized by John. And John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he baptized him. And we see in that baptism the presence of God the Father, we see the presence of God the Son, and we see the presence of God's Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Now, one of the things, this day of the Lord. By the way, we believe that you and I will not go through this day of the Lord, known as the seven years of tribulation. We believe here at this church of the pre-trib rapture that we will take and to be with the Lord in the air to marry our groom, the wedding supper of the Lamb for a seven-year period while the tribulation, the day of the Lord, is going on down here on planet Earth. Now, one of the things that's going to take place is we see it in Revelation 11, one of those witnesses in Revelation is believed to be Elijah. And for three and a half years, there's going to be he's going to be prophesying and teaching. And if anybody tries to harm them, they'll be destroyed. The other witness, a lot of people believe it's going to be Moses. And we see Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. At two separate times, both Moses and Elijah were on Mount Sinai. Passover. Our Messianic Jews that are here tonight, you know at the Passover, when we do have the Passover Seder up here, there's a place set at the table. There's an empty chair for Elijah in case he shows up because that's ushering in the Messiah. Verse 6, And he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse turning the hearts reconciliation of families because of Jesus Christ but also for the Jewish people with the God of their fathers the the faith of the patriarchs going all the way back to the Old Testament what the prophets spoke about identifying where the hearts are now turned to the living God. It's going to take place during that tribulation period. People are going to come to know Jesus as the Messiah, as Lord and Savior. You and I have the privilege, before that even takes place, of knowing Him as Lord and Savior. Check your spiritual attitude. Is it where you are content? We can never know enough about Jesus Christ. He can never use us enough. He's always looking for a willing heart to give Him glory and honor and praise and touch other lives. Whether it be church family lives or the secular lives that are outside these walls because he loves the world so much that he died for them. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The Old Testament ends with the threat of a curse. The New Testament ends with a blessing that the grace of Jesus be with everyone. Turn to the last verse of Revelation. Verse 21 of Revelation 22. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So just as... Malachi ends with the threat of a curse, the New Testament ends with a blessing that the grace of Jesus be with everyone. Tremendous news that at the end of Malachi there's going to be a 400-year period that goes by. Already went by. And then Jesus comes on to the scene. And guess what? He becomes a curse for you and me. Scripture says, accursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, Jesus hung on a tree. We know it as a cross. He did it on Calvary. And he did that in order for you and me to receive eternal blessings and blessings, some we have received here on this earth. Right, We've received blessings while we're on this earth and God's not finished blessing us and moving us forward to the day we meet him face to face. So the day is coming for the world. That day, that terrible day of judgment. But your day is coming too. The day you meet Jesus face to face. Are you ready? And if not, how come? What are you waiting for? What evidence do you need? Everything in here is 100% accurate. Never been proven wrong. All the prophecies are pretty much fulfilled. Are you ready?